Hello and welcome to StarkCast. I'm Joe Stark, and tonight I am talking with Kevin Shanks. I met Kevin through the Leftover Army on Facebook, and he is a forensic toxicologist. Now, that sounds pretty awesome to me. I have a very limited understanding of what it is, and uh, I can't wait to hear more about it, dude. <laughs> so, uh, how you doing tonight, man? Oh, not too bad. I'm just chilling here with uh, with my cats. So, if you hear anything in the background, it's probably my cats running around wild. They tend to do that at night. Um and knock shit around and, and things like that. So Oh, I love it. Dude, I'm one of those people that I love cats, but I'm allergic to them, and so I don't have them. But I grew, uh. I grew up with them, and I didn't have allergies to them at all until I moved out and then lived without them. And then when I go back and visit my mom and dad, like it's like I can be in their house for like 30 to 45 minutes before like I can really tell if I didn't take like Zyrtec or something like that beforehand. Yeah, that that used to be like me. I was uh, I was allergic to cats for a while, and whenever I'd go over to my grandma's house, I mean, she'd have a couple cats over there, and I would just sneeze and sneeze and sneeze. Eyes would water, everything like that. And I something happened when I got older. I grew out of it, or something changed, and um, had cats ever since. And um, I've got two right now, and they, they're crazy. So, uh, again, if you hear anything in the background, it's just them knocking shit over. I might, ha- I might have to yell at them one or two times. Oh, I love it. <laughs> My mom and dad's house, they've got a, a split level. And so, like, their living room and kitchen area have got these really high vaulted ceilings. And so the cats will jump up on the counter and then jump on top of the refrigerator and then jump on top of the cabinets. And then they'll just chill out up there, like, on this high perch. <laughs> that sounds about right with these things. They, these, uh, one of them especially. I, I wake up in the middle of the night and he'll be sleeping right on my head. Uh, he has no no sense of personal space. I know. Aren't cats great like that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so I had a basement bedroom when I was growing up, and the the ceiling was not finished. So if I'd lay in bed, I'd look up and I'd just see like the floor joists of the second floor. <laughs> And so my bedroom wall just went up and it stopped at those floor joists. But along the back wall, there was this shelf that was built into the wall so the cat could jump up. We Mom and Dad had this this female Russian blue named Shelby that was just this beautiful cat. And she was just this little stealth ninja because she could get up on that shelf and then jump up and catch the edge of the wall and then climb up over the wall and then come into my room even when the door was closed. Oh, wow. Oh, God. And so when I had my bed over near that wall, occasionally I'd wake up in the middle of the night to her landing on my chest. <laughs> I'll wake up. I'll wake up in the middle of the night and this we have a main coon and he'll be just staring at me, just just sitting there as silent as possible, as silent as he can be and just staring like staring me right in the eyes. <laughs> and he's actually doing it right now to me. If you could see this, he's staring. He's sitting right behind my computer. And he's just staring at me. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. Have you ever seen that? I, I, that uh, I'm thinking it was an internet post, maybe, where it was like the diary of a dog versus the diary of a cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I, I love that stuff. <laughs> everything was the dog's favorite thing ever. You know, <laughs> whereas the cat, it started off with like day 1,337 of my imprisonment. <laughs> Today, I tried to kill my captor by placing a shoe on top of the steps. 
that that's that's exactly a cat right there. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, cats are great because it's like a lot of them are, you know, it's like like a dog. You could like pick up a dog, like if you have a small dog or whatever, you can pick it up and just hold on to it. And for the most part, it'll just chill with you. Whereas a lot of cats are like, hey, I'm gonna sit on your lap when I want to sit on your lap, not when you want me to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That Russian blue that I grew up with, you'd be sitting in like I I called her the ninja cat because all of a sudden you'd look down and she's just on your lap. It's like where the <laughs> hell did you come from? I didn't even feel you come here. <laughs> yeah, that's like we we have a black haired cat as well, long haired cat, and he he'll he's the like the ninja of the family. He he does that stuff where he'll appear out of nowhere and then he'll just disappear and he'll come back and he'll reappear and you'll have no idea how he even did it. You were sitting there, you were staring at him the whole time, and he just disappeared right in front of you. <laughs> I had heard that cats are one of nature's most efficient predators. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Like, I, I remember, did you ever see that Life After People documentary that was on Discovery, like, years and years ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, is it? it, it initially was, like, a two-hour documentary, and then it was popular enough that they spun it off into, like, a one hour long series that, you know, went for several seasons or whatever. Yeah. But that first one was great because it, it showed what would basically happen to all like the house cats and stuff. Cause they said all like the dogs that were, you know, trapped in homes and, and even a lot of them that made it outside, they really wouldn't last that long. Whereas the cats would like really flourish. Oh, the cats would flourish. And the thing about cats too is, um, as, as opposed to dogs, dogs will, I mean, find things to eat and, and whatever, but cats will actually feast on dead bodies. So <laughs> oh. it's, it's one of those things that cats will actually eat you after you're dead. <laughs> if, so it's, it's always been portrayed in, in movies that dogs will do that, but no cats are really the ones that will do that. They really don't give a crap about, uh, uh, if, if they, they were laying in bed with you just the night before you're, you're, you're food now. So they'll, they have no qualms about eating you. <laughs> why does that not surprise me at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh that's kind of a fun way to segue into what your job is um <laughs> so do you want to give kind of like a brief explanation of what that is oh yeah sure um uh, my my official job is a forensic toxicologist um i that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people um basically um, a, a toxicologist is someone who studies the effects of chemicals and poisons and drugs and, and whatever it might be and, and study the, the effects on, on the body, the human body, essentially. Um, so uh, what I do is I work in a laboratory that um, I basically does the toxicology work, so the drug testing work for coroners and medical examiners and pathologists, and we help them in determining if a drug or chemical or poison was actually involved in someone's death or um, caused someone's death or um, uh, even driving under the influence cases as well. If someone was stopped speeding, weaving in and out of lanes, um, obviously they shouldn't have been driving. Um, they will um, send samples to us and we can determine what is actually, what did that person actually consume um, uh, that is making them impaired, essentially. Uh, but the vast majority of what I do is uh, post-mortem, so dead people, 
Um, and again, when, when you're talking post-mortem tox, I mean, you're talking blood, decomposed blood, um, brain tissue, liver tissue, um, uh, really, really nasty substances uh, because obviously they're coming from a dead body. So they don't yeah. smell good. They smell like death. Um, they smell terrible. They look terrible. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a dead person's blood. And that's kind of an odd question to ask. <laughs> um, not blood, but when I took advanced biology in high school, we got to go on a field trip to a local college and we got to see a cadaver. And so I, I did get to see, you know, like all the organs and ba- the dude was basically skinned except for like his hands and his feet and his head and like his dick and balls area. <laughs> and like, dude, I went for a long time without eating roast beef or without eating roast beef after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically in that, in that situation, all of the, I mean, it would have been an embalmed body. So all the blood would have been drained. Yeah. Um, and um, it would have been replaced by embalming fluid. But I, I, that sort of stuff comes to us where we're talking decomposed blood, um, liver, brain tissue, uh, all sorts of weird stuff out there. Um, but again, the, just the smells and the, the things you have to get used to um, when doing a job like this. Um, I always tell a funny story because uh, uh, my first case ever that I was ever put on um, was back in 2003. Um, I've been doing this about 15 years, and the they handed me a case and basically said, "Here, this guy had died the night before. An autopsy had been completed the night before. Um, he had had a nice steak dinner." He had drank about 20 to 25 beers. He had, oh. t- he had taken about two bottles of different medications and he k- killed himself. Um, uh, so they said, well, we need to determine what he died from. And all they had, all they sent us was his gastric contents. Well, they gave them to me being the newbie on the, on the block. Um, the what it actually was was basically a soup of half-eaten steak and pills amongst them. Like a, it just smelled of alcohol. Oh! And they basically said, "Fish all of those pills out of there," and then we need to test those pills. <laughs> so, yeah. Needless to say, I did not eat lunch that day. That was just before lunch. And, uh, <laughs> Brand new, out of school, didn't know what the hell I was doing, and um, they give me that sort of case, and that kind of <laughs> set the set the stage for the next fifteen years. <laughs> and you stuck it out, so kudos, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so was that like your your career path? Like when you were going to school and everything, you were like, "This is I'm going to get be a forensic toxicologist," or how did you find um, your way to that? I had no fucking idea what I was going to do. When I was out of undergrad, um, I thought I was maybe going to teach somewhere, teach high school, um, work in a lab somewhere. I had no idea. Um, I was a biology chemistry major um, in undergrad, and um, I hired into a lab directly out of school, out of out of my bachelor's, and uh, just decided to work in a lab for a while. And I 
really, again, had no idea what the hell I was wanting to do. Um, but from that very first day in 2003, I kind of fell in love with it. I mean, it kind of, I hit the ground running and kind of just fell in love with the whole thing of, of dealing with toxicology and chemistry in the actual real world of how we actually use it um, to help people. I mean, because ultimately that's what it is. We're, we're, we're helping people help other people determine a cause of death. Um, so uh, I went back and got a master's degree about five or six years later. Um, but uh, uh, after that, I mean, it just, it's kind of been, just kind of fell into it. Love science all my life. And uh, I found a, really found a calling, which I, I really love. Um, and plan to stick it out. <laughs> Bad smells and everything, but plan to stick it out for the rest <laughs> rest of the years. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That is, it's funny how life takes twists and turns like that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we just just went through something a couple years ago. Uh, the lab that I was working in was actually bought out and shut down, um, and it just happened that two former executives of that same lab basically wanted to open up another lab. And um, I was fortunately asked to join this other lab. So basically I was able to roll over and do a new company with this, I mean, with essentially knowing a lot of the same people. So um, it, it's just that the twists and turns that occur over time are just amazing sometimes. Um. I'm sure one of the things that's got to drive you nuts is the way that it can be portrayed in pop culture, like especially like CSI and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I automatically laugh at that. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> the, the way things are portrayed on TV drive me batshit crazy and just drive me crazy. Um, to anybody listening out there, it is not the way the real world does not work the way TV works. Obviously, um, uh, things take time. Things. Um, the number one thing that I see, um, things aren't easy. Like like they portray on TV. I mean, on TV, on CSI, they have to wrap up something in an hour long show. Um, whereas a case can take. I've had a case take three days, and I've had cases take six months. Um, so depending on what we were looking for, if we had to develop tests, new tests for it, um, and get those tests online, um, cases take long time sometimes and th th they're just not easy. Um, and number two is probably not everybody carries a gun. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want most of the people in our laboratory actually carrying firearms. <laughs> the, it, it just, it's just. It, it, it's gotten to a point, though. I haven't watched one of those shows in probably eight or nine years uh, because I just roll my eyes at a lot of I mean, what actually happens during those shows, um, whether it's. Um, I think the last time I watched one was maybe I think it was NCIS. It's one with um, the woman uh, is Abby. Abby. Um, I think it's NCIS. Okay. But she's kind of like the jack of all trades in, in the lab. Is she the one with like the all the tattoos? Yes. She's like, yeah, she has black hair or she yeah, did it one time. I'm pretty sure that's in CIS. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No one in a laboratory is a jack of all trades like that. Um, 
no one can go from firearms to DNA to toxicology to trace evidence and fibers to tool marks and 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 do all that. Yeah, I mean, realistically, imagine how much schooling and practical experience it would take to actually do all of those things because they're oh, yeah. all specialists, right? Yeah, no, the, every I mean, any and like a typical crime lab, you have your specialties, you have your DNA portion, your serology, you have your trace evidence and your fibers, people that specialize in that area. You have your toxicology folks. You have your drug chemistry folks that are doing testing on the actual drug materials, seized materials. You have um, uh, tire and tool marks and, and, and those sort of things. And you have dedicated firearms people as well. Um, in, in our laboratory, we're just a toxicology laboratory. So um, we only have tox in our lab. But um, in, in that TV area, it's kind of like you take one person or you take about 15 to 20, 30 different people and you roll them into one roll and – and you present that on TV like that, and then the, the the general public who doesn't know any better because they see it on TV um, basically thinks that's the way it works. And then the problem with that is those – I mean the people that get on the juries when things yeah. go to court, they think that that's the way it works. So then you have to have expert testimony in court, and I end up, end, I end up in court quite a bit um, – having to explain what we do and how we do it and how it's not like on TV. Do you just watch jurors eyes glaze over with boredom? Oh (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, any good prosecutor, any good attorney, any good defense attorney will tell you that you do not talk in in specifics. You, you, you break it down as general as possible. You, you try to, um, you, you, you don't use technical terms because, I mean, nobody but you will know those technical terms and you don't want them to gloss over and glaze over and, and just go to sleep. Um, so uh, you have to talk in general terms and that's hard sometimes, but I mean, it's it's doable. And the more you do it, the easier it is. Um, again, I mean, if you're in court a lot, it's easier to do. Um and for the newbies that aren't in court as much or just getting a start, um, they get used to it after a while. And um, it's just part of the part of the job. I have never had to serve on a jury. And I have this <laughs> feeling that I wouldn't make it past the selection process because I don't think any prosecutor in their right mind would want me on the jury because I, I honest to God, do not believe in eyewitness testimony. Yeah, that's. I, just I mean, there's there's a lot of evidence that says eyewitness testimony is not good. I mean, yeah. does not is not is not. I mean, accurate. It's not does not hold up. Um, and I mean, I mean, there's a lot of evidence for that, and I I'm a good believer in that as well. Um, I most I've never actually been on a jury either. Uh, I've been called and I've been dismissed because it was a drug case, and um, they obviously don't want me up there on a drug case, um, but uh, <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, people will say, well, they don't want you up there on a drug case, but my personal opinions are probably a lot different than what most people would think. 
Oh, yeah. Part of my laugh was a little bit dark there because it was like, (laughs) oh, of course they don't want somebody who's informed in there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's exactly Um, right. And that's where you're seeing some of my cynicism come through because – Oh, that, it's with with lawyers and stuff. It, all that stuff is necessary, but at what point does it become about winning? Oh yeah, and, and, and less about truth and justice. Mm-hmm. But who knows? Maybe I'm just being a cynic, but I, I'm sure that that plays into some people. Oh yeah, I mean no, yeah, that's uh, I, I've run across good attorneys who. Um, my job in court or the toxicologist, whoever's there as a witness is to um, present the science and the science alone. I don't care who wins or loses or who gets convicted or who doesn't. I mean, uh, I'm there to present the science and make sure the science is presented accurately um, as accurate as possible and in a fair way. Um, But there are, I mean, people of course that will, um, not want you to testify if you're going to say, Hey, it drug was there, but it had no, it wasn't in my opinion, it wasn't imparting any sort of effect on the body. Therefore he wasn't impaired. Um, there'll be attorneys that will say, no, you don't, I don't want you to testify to that. Um, and, and they'll try to keep you off the stand because of that. So yeah, I mean, there are definitely some, I mean, quirks and differences to, to the difference of different attorneys and, and the way, I mean, people, how they, how they portray science in a courtroom. Oh yeah, I bet, man. Um, see with me, it, it goes back to when I took psychology in high school, we had uh, a young teacher teaching psychology. And then we also had a young teacher that was doing English and I believe the drama department. And they set this thing up after class or they set this thing up before class started so that right at the beginning of class, the the drama teacher came up and started talking to Mr. Burke, the psychology teacher in the doorway. And all of a sudden it developed into this heated conversation where, and God, the drama teacher was so cool. And for the life of me, I can't remember his name. I can picture him because he was this really, really big dude. And he started yelling at Mr. Burke saying, I know what you said about me. I know what you said about my weight. I don't appreciate that. And like, we're all just sitting in class. You know, we're all just high school students. We're like, oh shit, what the fuck's going down over there? And then Mr. Burke turns around, he shuts the door and he's like, what was Mr. So-and-so wearing? And we're all just like, what? And he starts asking these questions, specific questions about what the other teacher, you know, and, and we're all like, what are you talking about? He's like, none of that was real. He's like, you guys are just eyewitness something that was had a, a severe impact on you. You should have seen the looks on all your faces. <laughs> He's like, and not a one of you can tell me what color shirt he was wearing. He's like, I want you to think about that. And we're all, oh, yeah. that, that, oh dude, I, I, it flipped me out. My mind was like blown, you know, because it was like, seemingly that was seared in my brain. But, you know, at this point, I can't remember the poor bastard's name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everybody's, I mean, you pay attention to what, I mean, you're drawn to the yelling, you're drawn to the the, the swearing or whatever is going on and um, the commotion, and you don't really pay attention to the, the small things. I mean, the color of a shirt or what he was wearing or, I mean, how tall he was or how short he was or body types or anything like that. You pay attention to what you're drawn to. I mean, and that is yelling, commotion, um, nice 
inspired language, um, (laughs) whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, that that goes back to the, I mean, eyewitness testimony. I mean, it's not very reliable. Yep. Yep. And, and the rest of that belief was filled in from my cousin Vinny. (laughs) (laughs) yeah such a good movie there (laughs) dude that movie's so rad (laughs) um so so kind of getting into back into like your your kind of daily thing there what's what is like one of the i mean there's got to be a pantheon of weird things but what are some of like the the ones that really come to mind Oh, um, I've got a lot of weird stories like that. <laughs> I knew you had to, man. A if you're examining stomach um, contents and shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, we've got, I've had, I'm trying to think of my weirdest case offhand. I mean, we get the cage, most of the things we get are standard. I mean, the vast majority of what we get are very standard routine intoxication cases with opiates and opioids and morphine, heroin. Um, alcohol, that sort of thing. Um, but over the years, there have been a few cases that do stand out. Um, um, this was probably 2007, I would say. Um, I got a, a case in, and I, I've, I've kind of become the person in our the laboratory then and still do, kind of handles the weird oddball stuff um, because they're out of the routine, out of the normal uh, routine of the lab. Um, so I basically the oddball stuff come to me. Um, nice. This, this case was, was very odd. Um, I still don't really know how it exactly happened. Um, but, um, the blood samples were shipped to us and what had happened was, um, a person, a male was found dead, um, on a farm. It was not his farm. It was, he, he worked on this farm. Um, it had been raining outside um, had been, I mean, it was basically a large downpour. Um, he was actually over there at that farm to borrow antibi or borrow drugs, supposedly, um, from, for his, cause he had livestock on his own small farm that was a few miles away. Um, he was borrowing drugs, I guess, for his animals for some unspecified reason. Um, the wife knew he was over there. Um, she got a text message from him that said, help me. And that's all it said was help me, but it was garbled up. But she could make out help me out of the message. So she got worried and sent him another text. He didn't reply, called him. He didn't respond. So she got worried and, and called the police and the police went over there and found him deceased, um, unresponsive, on the ground, in the rain, um, about 30 or so feet from the barn, and then about 20 or so feet from him was a large cattle syringe. Now, this isn't like a normal insulin syringe. Uh, this is like a big honking needle. Um, I, I, I dare to say you would not want to get stuck with this thing. <laughs> like um, spinal tap caliber needle. Well, bigger than that. Oh God, that's terrifying. <laughs> this, that's like a no. This two was pencil. huge, and I, I, I mean, if I had pictures, I could. I mean, but this was a huge needle, and um, it was still had liquid in it, but it was half emptied, and he had a puncture wound on his elbow or, or his wrist, I should say, um, 
and um, they didn't know what the drug was, so they sent it to us to identify. And it, what it, what we did through, found some we did some testing, nothing routine, and we found out through some research I was able to detect that it was a cattle antibiotic called tilmycosin, which is a very strange antibiotic. It's it's commonly used for like cattle, sheep, and goats, and and things like that, um, but he had what they surmised was that he had actually was hurrying in the in the rain with a loaded syringe of this stuff and he had slipped and fallen and injected himself just right on the wrist oh. and um in that that garbled text message really explains a lot because this stuff is very very cardiotoxic um it'll kill you pretty quickly if injected intravenously um in fact, it's not supposed to be inje- injected intravenously um, IV through, I mean, in, in the animal. Um, it's supposed to be injected intramuscularly, I believe. And um, he died within I mean, within minutes, um, they, they say. Um, so that was kind of an out-of-the-ordinary out case. Um, things that we have to think about that are outside the box of, hey, this is a cattle drug. Um, never seen this drug ever before. Um, and have to develop tests to actually identify the, the substance. So what we did was we, we identified it in the syringe, and then we went back to his blood and identified it in his blood sample. Um, and then then at that point when it's identified in his blood sample, then we have uh, information for the pathologist to rule and certify cause of death as um, due to the tilmycosin itself. So um, that's one um, I had a really, really, really strange one. And this is, um, this happened about 2009. It was a, we, we don't just do work for, um, uh, pathologists and coroners. I mean, if, if the, if a person wants testing done and they want to pay for it, we'll do the testing. So I had a, I was sitting at my desk one day, uh, middle of the day, or middle of the morning, and I uh, got a call from someone. Answered the call, and it was a woman who basically said, can you test a bowl of oatmeal? And <laughs> I said, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, theoretically, we can test a bowl of oatmeal. Um, it's uh, kind of out of the ordinary, but she was adamant that she wanted it tested and you could probably guess why she wanted it tested. Did she think someone was trying to poison her? That's right. Um, she thought her husband was trying to poison her and they were going through a divorce at the time and he had just gotten, um, gotten back into her life and was, was, was trying to freshen up to her and, um, was all of a sudden nice to her. Um, but what had happened was, she was she would eat something that he made and she would feel kind of funny. She wouldn't feel right. Well, she she decided to she wanted something tested. So I said, okay, I mean we'll test it. I mean we are we do charge whatever fees are. She was willing to she wanted it tested. So I said, okay, well this is how you send the sample in. She's like, no, I'm I'm only about ten minutes away from you. I'll <laughs> I'll bring it to you right now. <laughs> so I thought, okay, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's okay. I've had people drop off samples before. 
Um, so she shows up 10 minutes later and calls me down to the lobby and presents me with a still warm bowl of oatmeal. Still nice and warm. Um, and she says, I want this tested. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Again, a little out of the ordinary still, but we'll test it. And testing typically takes, in, in, the, in a modern laboratory like ours, I mean, it takes 10 to 14 business days, two, two to three weeks typically, to turn around case on average. Um, I... So I told her it was going to be several days probably until she got results. And she said, no, I'm going to wait here for the results. What? I want to wait. <laughs> well, um, so I said, okay, well, I, I said, okay, we'll, we'll do the testing and I'll try to fast track it in the next couple of hours. Um, and she, she told me her story and there's a lot of other stuff I can't really say um, disclose, but um, she had really good reasons for, um, believing she was po being poisoned. Uh, well, did the testing in the lab and I was doing it myself. Um, I told her it was going to take probably the rest of the day to get it to, to get initial results for her. And lo and behold, get the initial testing done, completed and results back to me. And there is a large amount of strychnine in her oatmeal. Oh no. Strychnine being old school rat poison. Yeah. Um, not just newer generation rat poison, but this old school shit. I mean, this is, this is stuff that, um, will kill you in milligrams of substance. Very small amounts of substance will definitely hurt somebody. Um, this had a large amount of strychnine in it. Um, glad she didn't eat that that day because she would have probably died. Um, whoa. Uh, yeah. So fast tracked that too. <laughs> like, yeah, whoa. And that, that's, that's one of those where, yeah, you're glad you kind of statted that through the system because, um, uh, she was definitely in some danger. Um, uh, so what, we're not the police. We're not anything like that. So, um, what I told her is what she needed to do was go to the police with this information and then, um, they can determine a cause of, um, of action of what, what they really want to do with this. And so I heard back from her about a few months later. Uh, she had moved away. She got a divorce. Um, they had some police action happen. Um, they set up a couple of stings in that. So where they made um, she let the, the husband make her more food. And then she immediately turned it over to the police. Um, and then they found other things in the food. Um She'd been being poisoned for quite a while with different substances. Um, it was just that one time, uh, she's very, very lucky she didn't eat that stuff. Um, and that is kind of one of those that always sticks out at me because that, that's one of those where she could have easily, again, eaten that material, eaten that, oat, that oatmeal, and then died within minutes. Wow, that is scary. Yeah, I mean, some of the stuff that people do, um, I found that in about 50% of cases where people are thinking they're poisoned, they're accurate. I mean, they're right. They are being poisoned. Um, we do, we had a lot of cases where people think they're being poisoned and they're obviously not. I mean, they're, 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 I, I don't like to say they're crazy. I don't like really like using that word, but they're, they're, they're not, they're not correct with thinking that they are poisoned. Um, they, there's other mental, 
instability, mental issues happening there. Um, uh, but uh, in about 50% of cases, I've found that people are being poisoned. Um, we've had, I'm looking at uh, mom poisoning her kid with Visine. Um, and that was a case of Munchausen's by proxy. Um, she would um, essentially poison her kid and then um, a kid would suffer effects and then she'd take care of the kid and then the kid would get better and then she'd do it again. And that was eventually found out by police. Oh my God. Well, uh, that's one of those some- ones that I just don't understand at all. Like, I mean, that is like a true mental disorder of some sort that you could do that to your own children, you know? Oh yeah. I, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I mean, I have one kid. I, he's, <laughs> I would just do anything for the kid. Um, I can't imagine being in that situation, that mental state of, of I'm going to hurt my kid in a, in a way that even though I think I'm going to take care of him afterwards, I'm still eventually, I'm still initially going to, I mean, put that person or put that child in a, in, in a state of, I mean, of, of harm. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. I probably never will. Um, it's just, just some of the things that, that you encounter. Um, I just the, the oddball things. Um, we've had, I mean, I could keep talking about cases and cases and cases like this. (laughs) Go Um, for it. If you want to, this is fascinating. (laughs) uh, We've had, this was super bowl. Probably. Uh, I'm thinking six years ago. Um, the no, this was seven, seven or eight years ago. Um, we had a, a basically a person come in. He um, they were at a, they were holding a Super Bowl party at their house. Um, he had eaten a bunch of chicken wings, drank about a case of beer, um, which I would frown upon that if you're a normal person don't be drinking a bunch of beer like that um uh, in excess um, enjoy yourself but don't drink in excess um he uh, was diabetic so he shouldn't have been doing this stuff and he went into after the party was over him and his girlfriend went in the bedroom they had sex he <laughs> came back out he told her he was going to go inject his insulin he was again diabetic. Um, he came back in after injecting it. Supposedly came back into the room. Um, he uh, they had sex again, and then um, I, he went back out of the room, left again, and his girlfriend was still there in, in the room. Um, and she, when he didn't come back, she she went out to find him in the room, and he was on the ground, unresponsive in the in the, like the living room area, the front room area. Um, turns out what was happening was they had shipped us the, the vial of liquid that they thought was insulin in the syringe. Um, it wasn't insulin at all. Um, he was actually injecting uh, papaverine, which uh, again, if you've never heard of papaverine, it's a substance, it's an opioid type substance. It's, it's actually a constituent of the opium poppy, but it's, uh, it's used in erectile dysfunction and you actually inject it into the base of the penis with an, uh, with a needle. 
So what she thought he was actually going out there and injecting his insulin, he was actually injecting this stuff so he could go have another fun time in the oh, bedroom. Oh, whoa. So um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially like a vasodilator. It, I mean, it expands blood vessels. Well, so. well, when you said he went and had sex for a second time, I was like, on a case of beer and a stomach full of chicken wings? It's like, wow, dude. But now it totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So he, uh, he, uh, he had some fun, but he ended up dying. Um, oh, and it was because yeah. of the, the mixture of the alcohol and the papaverine. He should not have been mixing those two substances. Um, and um, the so, girlfriend thought so if he you take would. a vasodilator like that and then your blood's also thinned out at the same time, that's those equal not good, right? Oh, not good. Blood pressure drops <laughs> uh, substantially. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, definitely not a good thing in regards to having those effects um, simultaneously. Um, the, but we do see that a lot. Um, people mix alcohol with just about anything out there. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. And, and the most, the most deaths that we see, um, and this could be, I mean, across the country, most deaths that we see are, are combinations of either alcohol and opiates, alcohol and benzodiazepines like Xanax and Valium and Clonopin, um, or, um, these days mixtures of alcohol with um, opiates like heroin and fentanyl and then uh, benzos as well. I mean, like a, like a trifecta, essentially. Um, you, it, that's the vast majority of deaths that we see in this country are a combination of one of those three things. Wow. Okay, while we're on this subject real quick, uh, how many deaths have you ruled because of marijuana? <laughs> um, basically, none. Um, from the direct... Um, Overdosage, the the direct effects of marijuana, um, the the uh, there have been known. Hmm. Good thing it's a Schedule One drug, right? Super dangerous, no medical benefits. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, again no deaths due to marijuana. Um, now that's not to say that there haven't been deaths from driving under the influence of marijuana or doing something stupid after using marijuana. Um, Is that a cat? I, yeah. It, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, though. But no, oh, no I, I could totally that. see that somebody could get stoned and do something stupid, especially behind yeah. a wheel or something like that. Yeah. Um, but no, from the direct effects of marijuana, nothing like that. In um, the vast majority of cases that we see and, and other people see, um, the, most of the bad things that occur from marijuana are, <laughs> I'm just picturing this all in my head and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Most, most of, most of the bad things that we see from marijuana are, are people that aren't used to the drug that are naive users of the substance that have never used before. And, um, they, they get a hold of something that is pretty high potency because these days marijuana isn't like what it was back in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. Um, uh, high potency, high THC levels mar of marijuana that are in marijuana these days um, basically can lead, lead to exa I mean, exaggerated effects 
Um, so when someone consumes something that they've never consumed before, and with marijuana, you typically get faster heart rate, tachycardia. Well, that means someone uses that, they're not used to it, and all of a sudden they think, hey, I'm dying. I'm dying. Something's wrong with me. And then they freak themselves out, and they get themselves into a panic state. They get themselves even more agitated, and then that's when they present to a hospital under like an agitated state yeah. because they think something's going on, but it's the normal effects of the substance. They're just not used to it. Um, and then after a few times using it, then they decide, hey, we, I, I kind of understand now that these are the effects of the substance. Um, I, so, yeah, Schedule 1 substance, my opinion, it, it should, definitely should not. I mean, there's a lot of substances that are in Schedule 1 that should not be Schedule 1. Um, I mean, these go from marijuana. Um, LSD should not be Schedule 1, in my opinion. Um, it's got a long-standing history of safe use. Um, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, so magic shrooms, magic mushrooms, um, MDMA, ecstasy, typically it, should not be Schedule 1. Mushrooms have got an incredibly high lethal dosage amount to it, oh, yeah. too, right? Like, it's it's almost silly to think that you could OD on mushrooms. Well, yeah, I mean, it's similar to marijuana. I mean, you can't, you have to eat a, a huge amount of plant material, <laughs> of mushroom itself, to... Uh, actually get to that lethal dose, that LV50 level. Um, um, yeah, mushrooms are relatively safe <laughs> when it yeah. comes on. It, when I say relatively safe, when I talk about drugs, I, I, I talk about them from a uh, like a scale of harm. I mean, mm-hmm. you have your very potent substances that cause central nervous system depression, stopping of the breathing, that sort of thing, the opiates and alcohols and I mean, alcohol is on that very high end of, of, of danger, really. Yeah, um, that's why it's so mind-blowing that that's the legal one. Yeah, it, if, if they had to go back today without the alcohol lobby that they have now, um, there is no way. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea how it would get actually passed uh, and be legalized these days. Um, you would probably find the opposite. Um, you would see alcohol illegal and something like marijuana legal um, and LSD legal. But there are, I mean, a lot of racial um, uh, things to drug laws. There are a lot of um, historical drug laws that were racist in nature originally. Um, uh, And whether it was because initially people didn't like marijuana, the white folks didn't like marijuana because black folks were using it. Um, they couldn't profit off of it or, um, I mean, a lot of the psychedelics and the LSDs, they were being used by the counterculture in the sixties and in the seventies while the straight laced folks that were in charge at the time didn't like that. So they decided to ban them, um, when they really relatively, I mean, caused relatively low amounts of harm. Um, but getting back to, beginning back to mushrooms, um, you you have to eat a large amount. Um, I mean, your typical dosage is somewhere around um, one to five grams of dried mushroom, which isn't a lot, really, if you were to weigh it out. If you were to eat fresh mushroom, you're talking about 10 to 50 grams, so a lot more, but about one to five grams of dried mushroom. Um, 
to actually um, I overdose on the stuff, you you have to eat a large amount. And, and honestly, there have only been, I believe, two deaths that have been associated with psilocybin mushrooms directly in, in the history that have been recorded. Um, one was in France, I know of, and one was um, somewhere else, but it was um, relatively high concentrations of the, the active ingredient psilocin in blood. And they really had no other um, explanation for cause of death. So they did they did rule it psilocybin mushroom um, involved in the cause of death. But again, two deaths due to psilocybin mushrooms recorded in history as used is due to directly due to the mushroom um, out of the hundreds and thousands of people that have used it multiple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you what, in mid 2003, I thought I was going to be one of those deaths. <laughs> yeah it's if only i knew then what i knew know now maybe i wouldn't have had that awful trip because <laughs> i spent a lot of it freaked out being like i'm gonna die well yeah and that's what i mean if if anybody i'm pretty liberal when it comes to a lot of drug use and things and and uh it's if you're if you're going to do that sort of thing um just have somebody on hand um, have um, what we call a trip sitter or something, uh, somebody that can can watch over you um, when um, to make sure you're okay, especially if you're not experienced in that area, um, to make sure you don't freak out. And if you do freak out, that you don't do anything stupid, yeah. um, that you don't go flying out a window or um, running out into the traffic or something like that, thinking you're being chased or um, suffering from hallucinations or something if you're under the influence of a of a different psychedelic or hallucinogen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but, I, I lucked out. I was out in the middle of the woods and I just got way too cocky. Cause before, like what you were saying that the average dose is usually around one, one to five dried. I did more like close to 10 <laughs> and did like a bunch of shots before it. And it was yeah. such a fucking st like, and that was the last time I ever did I I anything, you know, heavier than, than just cannabis was, is fuck it was april 27th 2002 i will remember that day forever <laughs> that's that's let's see that's a good story that's that's a great story right there did i mean did you see anything did you hear anything um what were the effects that you experienced um okay so like when you see people in movies and in pop culture and stuff take like lsd or mushrooms or something like that and they like go on like a vision quest and they're actually mm -hmm. seeing like shit like that i never ever had visuals okay. like that it, it was more just it, it it would look like um like a really good example is you know how some people have like a a textured ceiling in their house where it looks like yeah. it's all speckled or something like that mm -hmm. for me if i would look at something with a pattern like that it would look like it was breathing yes like it was moving around if i if i would look at like mini blinds it would look like they were simultaneously getting taller and getting wider at the same time if i looked at like a tiled wall it would almost look like the cracks in between the tiles, like there was like a multicolored light going along behind it. And so you'd like see these lights like bleeding through the tiles, but it wasn't yep. ever anything like a fucking leprechaun came out from behind my dresser <laughs> and started talking to me and shit. And it's like, okay, I don't know what you got to take to see that sort of shit, but I never saw any of that. And when I was going, 
when I was going to school, getting my graphic design degree, I did a lot of fucking psychedelics and I never saw anything <laughs> like that. And it, it culminated in me having that bad trip. And that's when I was like, don't ever want to go down that fucking rabbit hole again. <laughs> that yeah, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, you'll see a lot of the, I mean, the color changes with LSD and psilocybin mushrooms and, um, like typically when you think of mushrooms, you think of like the multicolored geometric shapes and, and kaleidoscopic shapes and, and yeah. things like that. Especially if um, you close your eyes and then yes. you really see oh, yeah. fucking cool shit. It, it almost looked like a windows 95 screensaver, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Closed eye hallucinations and, and those sort of things very, very common with those. Um, I, and even the synesthesia of, seeing colors and hearing hearing sound or hearing music or i don't know seeing um seeing music essentially or tasting colors when people talk like that i mean you can get to those sort of levels as well but not as common but um it those psychedelics i mean a lot of those are relatively benign substances that you I may mean, take a large amount of substance to actually overdose on and actually lead to your main cause of death. Yeah. Whereas um, I think it actually has some positive mental benefits or I'm not going to say probably, I, it definitely does. I mean, anything in this day and age that can dissolve your ego and actually make you think of the impacts that you have on the world around you. I think we need a lot more of that. And so it's a real bummer that it's a schedule one. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and the problem with it being schedule one, a lot of these substances is that um, that hinders a lot of research that can be done on these substances for human health conditions. It's a lot harder to research something that's schedule one than, than is not scheduled or schedule three or four or five substance or, or something like that. But I mean, these sort of compounds, these substances, I mean, LSD, Ibogaine, Ayahuasca, dimethyltryptamine, psilocybin, peyote or mescaline. I mean, a lot of the, what we consider psychedelics, they have, potential benefit in medicine um there's i'm not sure if you how familiar you are with them but the they're called maps m-a-p-s uh they're out in the out in the west coast um called the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies um academic group um very well thought of they are actually doing human clinical research with lsd lsd assisted psychotherapy research um, ayahuasca assisted treatments for certain things, psilocybin studies for certain things, studying them on the effects of cluster headaches and, and other issues. Um, they're doing research with mescaline and peyote. Um, right now there's a human clinical trial going on for the use of MDMA in post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Um, a lot of these substances have very, very, um, legitimate potential in, in human medicine. Um, and unfortunately with them being schedule one again, it's very hard to do that research. And this group out there out West has, has done a lot of work in getting some of these um, trials off the ground and getting them actually recognized um, and to the point that they actually mean something right now. Um, they're seeing positive effects from a lot of these studies. So that's a good thing with medicine and some of these psychedelics. Yeah, that's that's awesome that they're able to do that. And I, I hope they're able to carry on because I think that is important research. 
Um, oh yeah. Have Have you ever heard of the stoned ape theory? I have heard of it. Yes. Yeah. So basically, that goes back to like when people were kind of first developing into humans clear back on the plains of Ethiopia, there was a change in the climate and we started developing more food sources and we discovered mushrooms on cow pies in these grasslands Mm -hmm. and started eating them a lot. And it actually led to greater visual acuity and even potentially like opening up more communication skills. And so basically there's this theory that mushrooms helped, you know, our ancestors evolve into current day humans, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely fascinating. And um, I've never actually read much about it, but I have heard of it. And it's, it's one of those things that I, (laughs) I I definitely could see it. I mean, um, and it reminds me, I don't know why it just, that just whole story reminded me of, um, you ever have you ever seen that the animated the good dinosaur? Yes, came out a couple years ago or whatever. Um, there's that scene in there that seems pretty out of place, but they get a hold of some like uh, some psychedelic or hallucinogenic berries or something. I think either they had been fermented or something. They start seeing these weird things, uh-huh. and they have start seeing these hallucinations. I I don't know why I just thought of that, but <laughs> <laughs> that, that story of the stone Age thing. Uh, that just got me thinking about that movie. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll dig up a good article on that and I'll post it to the Starkcast Facebook page. Yeah, do that. I would love to see that. Yeah, because I mean, if you listen to enough of Joe Rogan's podcast, you'll hear him talk mm-hmm. about it, and that's where I first heard about it. And then I did a little bit of googling on it, but it was it was a while ago, so I'm hazy on the specifics. But I'll try and find the article again because it is pretty fucking yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'd love to read that. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I mean, just. I don't know. I I think there's a lot more to human history than a lot of than especially like mainstream science and archaeology and stuff like that is is willing to admit. And, oh yeah. And probably because I mean I mean you go back tens of thousands of years, it's got to be hard to find concrete evidence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's with with. I mean, these, a lot of these substances existed, I mean, from a drug standpoint, existed, I mean, naturally, I mean, thousands, I mean, hundreds, thousands of years ago. Um, and someone obviously used them at one point or another. Um, I mean, things like mescaline and peyote cactus. I mean, those have been used for thousands and I mean, at least 5,000 years by Native Americans um, in Mexico and other religious ceremonies in Mexico and South America. Um, I I mean, a lot of these drugs go back thousands and thousands of years. Um, We're only, I mean, it was first synthesized by human in the 1900s, but it's been used for, I mean, five, three, four, five thousand years. They have records of some of that stuff being used. Um, um, Things, LSD typically only goes, I mean, was synthesized. I mean, that whole story of LSD being synthesized is, is good, but... Um, it, uh, I mean, it was synthesized originally in the thirties, um, but it was rediscovered in the forties and in the fifties and the sixties. But, um, I just things that have basically existed for hundreds and thousands of years. Um, again, thinking about, um, the psilocybin mushrooms, dimethyltryptamine, especially, um, uh, in Ayahuasca, 
being um, the brew that's typically made in Central and South America from different plants. That um, one is amazing to me. The, the, how they even figured that one out. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with that one, I mean, typically, I mean, you make a plant, you like a brew from specific plants. I mean, certain plants that will contain um, dimethyltryptamine, um, which is very similar to what's in your body as serotonin. I mean, serotonin is 5-hydroxytryptamine, and we're talking dimethyltryptamine or DMT. So very, very similar compounds that act on the same serotonin receptors in the body. Um, but the thing about me, ayahuasca, is how did they actually know this without actually – I mean, a lot of experimentation. Yeah. I mean, combining – um, a couple of plants that, that they know of that contain DMT, but then finding out that when you consume those plants by themselves, it doesn't do anything. So you have to mix it with a couple of other plants that actually contain substances that actually inhibit the breakdown of an enzyme or inhibit an enzyme, which inhibits the breakdown of, 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 of DMT in the body. So DMT is actually allowed to increase and not be readily broken down by these other, uh, the addition of these other substances of, of these other plants. So, I mean, you'll take the, it's called psychia, I'm trying to think off my head, uh, <laughs> Psychotria viridis, uh, Mimosa hostilis, or hostilis. Um, those contain dimethyltryptamine, um, but it's readily degraded in the stomach by an enzyme called monoamine oxidase A, M-A-O-A. Um, so if you consume this stuff normally, consume those plants, your body breaks it down immediately and you have no effects. But when you combine those initial plants with plants that contain something called a selective re reversible MAO inhibitor, um, these plants are, I mean, are shrubs or trees. Um, um, I'm trying to think again off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. I think there's something called Pagnum harmal. It's a shrub. And Acacia confusa is a tree. Um, and there's a bee, cop, capi, capi vine. Um, and they contain these alkaloids that will inhibit that enzyme from breaking down DMT. So when you put them together, you make this nasty, I mean, and quite literally, if you look at the brew that's made, it's not a, a nice looking concoction. It's not something I would want to drink. No, I've heard horror stories of the people who do it also. I mean, you're either puking your guts out or yep. shitting your guts out yep. and then tripping like you would like, like you're in another realm of tripping. Like that's the sort of tripping that, that I said earlier that I never experienced. It's because I never did that. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and the funny thing is the vomiting and the nausea, the puking and everything is actually seen as a pretty essential part of the experience. Um, from everything that I've read and know about it, um, it's used as like um, when people use ayahuasca and DMT, it, it's kind of like it leads to profound life changing experiences and a spiritual awakening and whatever word you want to use. And you experience the true nature of the universe and all sorts of things. But the vomiting and the nausea actually is, is thought of as you're, you're getting rid of all that negative stuff out of your body. You're expelling all that negative stuff. Um, so, I mean, that is actually looked at as a positive from the use, even though the vomiting and the diarrhea and the, 
that feeling terrible, the body aches that, that are associated with it um, are not a fun thing to experience, uh, but you're supposed to experience that stuff, I guess. Um, but yeah, from the, the hallucinations and distortions, perception distortions, and um, I, people, I mean, you had mentioned ego earlier. I mean, ego softening, ego loss is a big thing with ayahuasca and DMT. Um, where you basically it's a loss of all reality and um, uh, you loss of what is truthful or apparent to somebody. Um, you have a lot of feelings of love and empathy. And again, it's a spiritual awakening. I mean, you use it in a lot of these, um, you go out in the middle of the jungle and get this stuff brewed for you and, and use it. Um, there are some, um, very good stories that go along with that. That and it tends to pop up in the news every so often. Um, it's been getting more popular recently. Yeah, I just had a call about it yesterday. Um, someone was asking me um, how to test for it, and and um, they think that it had caused someone's death, and um, more than likely not. Um, but um, you, you never know. There have been really only. One true case reported in po- in postmortem tox. I mean, where something has been determined to be a cause of death, um, and it was actually a derivative of DMT that was consumed. It wasn't actual DMT. So, um, and even that report is kind of flawed because it was something called five methoxy dimethyltryptamine, and it wasn't dimethyltryptamine itself that was the cause of death. Um, he was found. He was uh, found dead the morning after consuming some ayahuasca. Um, and that's all they had. So that's what they they went with. Five methoxy DMT as being the cause of death. Um, uh, but I, the I mean, there are some great, great um, reports on on DMT usage of of what people would see and hear. There are a couple great books for anybody listening. Um, there are a couple great books um, on these sort of substances that are kind of like chemistry, chemistry handbooks. Um, they're called PCAL and TCAL. Um, they're acronyms for phenethylamines I have known and loved, a chemical love story. <laughs> and TCAL is T-I-H-K-A-L, tryptamines I have known and loved, the continuation. Um, <laughs> they are basically chemical cookbooks. Uh, written by Alexander Shulgin, a very, very famous uh, neuropsychopharmacologist, chemist, worked for Bayer, worked for Dow, worked for um, the, the U.S. government back in the day, synthesizing compounds. Um, he, What he did, him and his wife did, was they synthesized these compounds in the, the lab in their house because they were allowed to work in their house by the U.S. government, and they synthesized all these compounds. And they self-experimented with a lot of them and documented the effects, documented other people's effects. They'd have other people come over and use them, and they would document dosage consumed, how it was consumed, um, I, and the, the overall effects. And there are, in these books, there are a lot of good stories on like what exactly was seen or how, what someone actually felt when they consumed 60 milligrams of DMT intramuscular. Holy shit. 
Um, first, I mean, I, I've, I recall one right off the top of my head. Like I went swimming in the cosmos. <laughs> like, well, I recall shit. one where they start talking about strange creatures and dwarfs and seeing this ominous black moving object and his left hand goes numb and his heart, he felt like his heart wasn't beating anymore. And he, all he could feel was his left hand and after a while, and then his right hand went numb and his left hand went numb. And yeah, there was all sorts of things. And he saw, I mean, a picture that looked like a mask and then it turned into a nasty demonic face. And then, I mean, also there, there are some very, very good stories out of these books. Wow. Um, any wow. chemistry, really, really anybody that wants to know about these substances should can easily get a hold of it and available on Amazon and everything that they're great reads. If you're a chemistry dork like me, <laughs> how digestible are they to just like a layman? Um, from the, the chemicals, the chemistry part of it, not so much, uh, but the, the, like the uh, trip experiences and the drug experiences really, I mean, written just, I mean, as anybody could read them. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. That sounds interesting. I mean, the- <laughs> I'd love to read more about that stuff. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah. like the drug names and stuff are going to go right over my head, but well, yeah, I mean that, that's what it I mean. And a lot of Shulgin's drugs, a lot of these psychedelics and things, they have all very similar names. I mean, MDMA, MDA, MDEA, MDIA. I mean, down the line, I mean, yeah, a bunch of numbers and, and letters and things, but they're all similar, but all of the experience reports are, I mean, just fascinating things to read. Wow. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, one of the things that we that you'd kind of touched on earlier when we were talking about the ayahuasca was um, when you'd mentioned toxins coming out. And so that immediately put me into like the like the woo woo bullshit stuff of, you know, <laughs> oh, we got to purge your body of toxins. Like, how much does that bother the shit out of you? Uh, bothers me a lot. Um, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I, it. It's one of those things where um, you you don't want. I mean, I can't really. I don't want to pay attention to it because it's just. I mean, it's bullshit. Is what it is. A lot of it is complete bullshit. Um, most of it is, and but I just. I don't want to pay attention to it because it's bullshit. But you've got to pay attention to it because sometimes you got to fight back and push back against that bullshit because that, that, that stuff gets reported in the news and gets accepted as fact when all, I mean, you go to anybody out here, I mean, anybody on the street and you ask them about detoxes and, and um, all of these organic detoxes and things, what's going, I mean, what you would consume to get all these toxins out of your body or whatever. Um, and people will say, your normal person would probably say, yes, they work. And no, they're complete horseshit is what they are. <laughs> um, they, they don't, they don't do anything. Um, the best way to, to, to combat that is you have a liver and you have kidneys. That's all you need to detoxify substances in your body. Yeah. Those are your filters. <laughs> yes. If, if for some reason you get to a point with a substance where you cannot detoxify it anymore. You don't do any of those pseudoscience, woo, batshit crazy things. You go to the hospital. You go to an emergency room. You seek the care of a doctor or physician. You don't do one of those toxic detoxes or whatever. 
you need to go to a physician if you are not detoxifying a toxic substance any longer. Yeah, because they need to fill your stomach with liquid charcoal. Yeah, yeah, activated charcoal, (laughs) gastric lavage. I mean, you do something, you you go to the hospital and have something done. You don't drink two shakes per day for four weeks and all of a sudden all the toxins are pulled out of your body. Uh, No. (laughs) No, no kale enemas, no, I don't know what it might be. I mean, no pseudoscience, woo, (laughs) I mean, stuff. It's, it's not, that's, that mean that, as I said before, it's bullshit and that's what it is. Oh, people's fascination with sticking a tube up their ass. (laughs) Like, I'm going to give myself a coffee enema. And it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, I, I've i never understood the fascination with that either. Um, I don't like coffee per se down my mouth, um, let alone up my ass. So <laughs> I, I, I like the smell of coffee, but I don't like the taste of it. And it's just, I, I, I don't understand, but I think it, it's one of those things where things get repeated so many times and then, if there's no one there to push back on it, then it becomes accepted as fact. Yeah. It at least becomes believable. Um, I mean, it is, and I hate to, I mean, even say anything political, but it's, I mean, the, the whole epitome of fake news today. Um, I mean, that whole term, um, it's been bastardized these days by certain people in office, but, um, the, the, uh, the, the term fake news was originally concocted for a lot of these pseudoscience things that show up on Facebook and Twitter and social media that have no basis in scientific fact. Um, yeah, it goes the, clear back to the days of snake oil salesmen, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, it, it just – but there's been no one really there to combat it. And that, right now there are a lot of people out there that are combating it from a from a media standpoint or at least attempting to like science communicators that are some, – some of them are really good in, in trying to combat it in ways that would be digestible to a, to a person that's reading an article or something. Um, but I think we need more of that. But, um, but we definitely need people to do that because that's how these – shakes and these detoxes and these things become accepted as, as being true and they're obviously not so yeah yeah long story short that stuff drives me batshit crazy <laughs> you know the one that that really pisses me off that people kept buying into where i had people actually arguing this with me was the the foot bath one where you'd put your feet in and the water would turn black that's the oh. toxins <laughs> it's like oh come yeah. on yeah yeah, there's there's one I saw on there like in, I don't know if it's like in a folklore or it's one of those type of things where you put onions in uh, sick kids' socks or something, and <laughs> the onions turn black or something. Well, I've heard no that. Shit, no shit. I mean, they're gonna turn black. They're in someone's sock. It's probably <laughs> hot underneath the covers inside the sock. It's gonna degrade and it's gonna it's gonna get nasty in that sock, um, and it is gonna turn black and dark and, and get mushy. It's not from the toxins coming out of your foot. It's from the environment that that damn onion is in that is degrading. Yeah. Um, I, and I've seen so many of those things on, on social media that, I mean, it just bothers me to no end. But, I mean, you can only go – you can only do so much and say so much about it. Um, but it seems – I mean, they're so prevalent. It, it, it's insane. 
it, and for the most part, skin is a pretty good chemical barrier, right? I mean, we'd be oh, yeah. in a lot of trouble without it. That's why yes. that's why you have to watch out with your areas of your body with with mucous membranes. Like, don't touch your eyeballs or your mouth or something like that after you've touched a doorknob. I mean, it's yeah. not just going to soak in through your hands. That, but, otherwise, we'd all be sick and dead all the time. Yeah, and that's I mean that is a very good point there because. The one example I use all the time when talking about that is the skin as being a barrier is, I mean, these pharmaceutical companies, I mean, you hear these days of of heroin and fentanyl. I'm not sure if you're familiar with fentanyl. Oh, fentanyl is a scary one, man. We definitely got to get into that. But yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's a a nasty, it's a, it's a nasty drug. I mean, it's a pharmaceutical substance. It, I mean, it was developed in the sixties. It became a medication in the sixties, which used, um, as a preoperative, I mean, anesthetic and for analgesia in, in surgery originally in the nineties, it was approved for, uh, uses like a transdermal patch. Well, if some of these drugs, I mean, the drug companies spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to develop that transdermal patch system, um, to, because fentanyl won't absorb through your skin readily. Your skin is a great barrier, <laughs> Unless you're leaving, you've got powder fentanyl on your skin and you leave it there for hours and hours and hours, it's not, I mean, that's the only way it's going to absorb. Well, they, they spent millions of dollars to develop this transdermal system to get that fentanyl from outside the skin through the skin. And, um, the, uh, again, you see all these, these, and what kind of spurred that was, um, the you see these reports of people overdosing because they're touching fentanyl or they're touching heroin that contains fentanyl or something like that. That's not going to happen. I can go up and touch fentanyl all I want. It's nothing bad's going to happen to me. I shouldn't do that, and I don't want to do it. But I could go touch powder fentanyl all the time. Nothing bad will happen to me as long as I wash my hands after I touch it. Um, but you see these reports in the media of uh, someone encountered a powdery substance on the scene of a crime or a death and they, a police officer or a first responder got some on them and they brushed it off. And then all of a sudden they're suffering the effects of an overdose. No, that's not true. That doesn't happen. Um, the American College of Medical Toxicology actually worked out the math. Uh, the ACMT actually worked out the math, and it, it's not possible for that to happen. In order for that to happen, and I'm just paraphrasing, but you actually have to have like both palms of your hands covered for like 45 minutes to absorb fentanyl through your skin to reach a therapeutic level in your blood that you would be kind of achieving an effect from the drug. It, brushing some off on your skin is not going to do anything to you. What happens is that again, kind of getting back to the marijuana thing as well, you people get some on their skin. They freak themselves out that, Hey, now I've been exposed to a drug and they get themselves all worked up. And then they think that they've been exposed. They become tachycardic. The heart rate starts racing. Blood pressure skyrockets because now I've been exposed to a drug. What am I going to do? I'm going to die. And, um, they then go to the hospital and it gets reported as 
a drug overdose due to someone getting some powder on them. Um, that's not true either. It's not going to happen that way. Uh, but fentanyl is a nasty substance that, um, it is a problem. I will say that is, is, is a problem these days. Um, it's, uh, uh, we've been, we've had a fentanyl issue in this country for the, probably the last three to four years. And it's, uh, it's been attributed in the deaths of like the way it came to mind or not came to mind, but came to light to me was, I think I first heard about it in, was it Michael Jackson's death? Um, Michael Jackson was or actually was that a different pro- one. Yeah, that, that was a different one. That was propofol. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he was administered propofol or he was being given propofol. And I think he was almost, I don't know the specifics, but he was, I think was administering it on his, on his own, which he should not have been doing. Um, cause that is not to be used outside of a, uh, a, a hospital setting with like mechanical ventilation oh my God. Um, and that sort <laughs> of thing. And he was, he was administering that to sleep. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a problem right there. Yeah. Okay. But, um, it, it is linked to some celebrity deaths, right? Or am I totally thinking of something different? Oh no, you're correct. Um, the first one that probably came to light was Prince, um, a year, year and a half ago. Okay. Um, he, it, it, what, what was originally reported was uh, fentanyl, uh, was it a fentanyl overdose. Um, and that was what was released by the medical examiner's office in Minnesota. Um, it's public record now. Um, but, uh, it was a fentanyl overdose. Um, it actually came out that it was fentanyl and another sub designer substance called U47700. Um, that was also in play. It's another designer opioid. Um, that is um, not available as a not available as a pharmaceutical, but is only available on the black market essentially. Um, but what what turns out what was happening, I think, in the Prince case was the crime lab up there found a ton of different substances like pills and tablets that were in um, uh, uh, pill bottles that said like hydrocodone acetaminophen on them. So like Vicodin, um, I, but, and then the pills themselves look like hydrocodone and acetaminophen. And they were imprinted just like them and looked like them. But when they analyzed them in the lab, they actually found that they were actually contained no hydrocodone and no acetaminophen, but they were fentanyl in those pills. Oh, so, wow. yeah. So, so you have a problem these days with, Fentanyl has infiltrated the normal heroin, street heroin supply. You have that problem. But you also have a problem of hair. Fentanyl is also now counterfeitly made and looks like other substances. So other Vicodin and Xanax and, and things like that, that if you buy from the street, if you buy tablets from the street, there are counterfeit tablets that contain just fentanyl. So someone thinks they're going, they're, they're getting five milligram or 7.5 milligram hydrocodone tablets. And they're actually getting an unknown dosage of fentanyl. Um, which is scary because if you look at the different potencies of the drugs, you say morphine is say a one on the potency scale. Heroin is about one to five times more potent than morphine. Fentanyl is about a hundred or 
anywhere from about 40 to 100 times more potent than morphine. So you have a substance that's about 100 times more potent than morphine showing up in a substance where you, you think you're getting hydrocodone, but it's, I mean, it's magnitudes, of, I mean, stronger than what you're thinking you're consuming. So um, there's that. But then there's this whole drug issue that's going on right now is a, is a major problem because now there are derivatives of fentanyl called fentanyl analogs that are even more potent than fentanyl. <laughs> so it makes what? it even more. Yeah. Um, probably the most famous one um, right now is or has been since summer of 2016 is something called carfentanil. Um, if you're familiar, if anybody's familiar with carfentanil, um, carfentanil is actually um, a substance that was developed in the 70s. Um, it is only approved for use in the United States and worldwide as a large exotic animal tranquilizer and immobilizer. That's what I was going to say. Is that like something that they use to tranquilize elephants? Yes, it is known as an elephant tranquilizer, a rhinoceros tranquilizer used for yak and like bears and all sorts of exotic animals, non-domesticated large animals. Um, it is considered to be about 10,000 times more potent than morphine. Holy shit. But what happened in the summer of 16 in the Midwest here primarily, but then it uh, kind of went from there, was... Um, carfentanil was found in the street heroin supply. Um, Whoa. and if you go back to any stories back in the summer 16, you'll see that, um, the basically around a certain date in, in the summer, there was no carfentanil that all of a sudden you see a bunch of news stories about carfentanil being in the, in the supply. Um, it exploded basically overnight where there were uh, there were cities that would have normal amounts and whatever you consider normal amounts of overdoses on a daily basis. But then all of a sudden these cities are seeing three, four, five, six times the number of daily overdoses. Um, and it, it was mainly at that point due to carfentanil. Um, it, uh, Again, it is marketed as a large animal immobilizer. Um, it's not a Schedule One substance because it has veterinary use, but it uh, it uh, basically until the summer of sixteen, I had only had one case exposure to it. I had a case where um, a person had been ex possibly exposed to it in the field because they were doing research on animals in the field, and they got splashed with an errant dart they were using to immobilize an animal and they were they felt woozy after being splashed with that liquid so they were treated at the hospital but they wanted to see if there was any carfentanil in their system and it ended up being negative um, but carfentanil is a nasty substance because it it is so potent and it actually has been used in chemical warfare um I, there have the Russian military, I believe it was 2002, it was either 2002 or 2003. Um, there was a, it was called the Nord Ost siege in Moscow. Um, it, um, basically a bunch of Chechen rebels uh, infiltrated 
and took a bunch of hostages in a Moscow theater. There was like 800 hostages or whatever. Um, they didn't. They they took them all hostage. Well, instead of storming the place with gunfire, the Russian military decided to pump in an aerosol into the ventilation system, and they were going to subdue the terror, the the, the rebels, the terrorists that way. Well, what ended up happening was about 140 people died from the aerosol, the effects of the aerosol. Only one person actually died from gunfire. Um, the and There were actually scientific studies published after this um, because the Russian military still to this day, the government still has not said what they actually used in that aerosol. But there were, again, a couple of studies published where um, there was urine from a survivor of the siege, and then there were residues from clothes of a survivor that were tested in a laboratory, and they found traces of carfentanil and another fentanyl derivative called remifentanil in the urine and in on the clothes. So there's very good evidence that this compound was actually used in chemical warfare, essentially, um, uh, to subdue a bunch of terrorists or rebels um, by the Russians. Um, and this is something that has now infiltrated the street heroin supply, um, which is really scary. Yeah. As if the danger of heroin overdoses wasn't already bad enough. You yeah. add something in that's like 10,000 times worse. And, and that's the problem is people don't know what they're consuming. Um, they think they're getting their normal heroin. And they're actually getting something that is most likely fentanyl plus heroin or fentanyl on its own or fentanyl plus a fentanyl derivative like carfentanyl or a car or a fentanyl derivative on its own or a fentanyl derivative with heroin. Um, very, it is very, very rare these days to see heroin by itself. It is always mixed with fentanyl or another substance. Um, it again, it is very rare. We, when we, when we're reviewing cases, um, toxicology cases in the laboratory, um, it's actually something that I will say, Hey, just saw heroin by itself because it, it stands out that much. Um, because it is not common these days to see it because fentanyl has basically taken over the, the heroin supply and then other derivatives have taken over as well. Um, so Someone is thinking they're getting heroin, but they're getting a substance that's 100 times more potent, 10,000 times more potent, and they're using the same amount that they would normally use, and then they're dying pretty quickly afterwards. Yeah. You know, that right there is like one of the biggest arguments for just, if not legalizing across the board, decriminalizing across the board, and just making it available for people in a safe way because if you have to get things over the black market you don't know what you're going to be getting and i i remember when when ecstasy first came into vogue and it was like within a year there was reports of people dying and it was because it wasn't because of the ecstasy but it was because of what was being cut in with it exactly and that's still a problem with ecstasy these days because the if you look at the numbers of 
of actually seized cases of like what the market is, what's out there on the market. Um, there is very little actual MDMA ecstasy out there these days. Um, it is, if you are consuming MDMA or ecstasy or think you are, it's similar to this. You're more than likely not consuming MDMA. You're consuming a derivative like a methylone or an ethylpentalone or a MDPV or an alpha PVP, these other compounds that are other stimulants or, or substances that are similar to MDMA. But um, uh, they are, MDMA is not really common these days. Um, we don't, I mean, people obviously, I mean, we don't see it from, because people don't really die from it. Um, but from a drug seizure standpoint, they don't see a lot of it either from a DEA standpoint. Um, but again, going back to what you said about, um, kind of decriminalizing it, um, I'm in favor. I mean, we have a, we have an, obviously we have a, a it's been termed as an opioid epidemic or a heroin epidemic these days over the last couple of years. Um, deaths have skyrocketed due to these other substances and fentanyl. Um, when looking at what to do about the problem, I mean, there's no real good answer, but I think you're going to have to think outside the box. Um, you're going to have to look at decriminalization. You're going to have to look at safe injection sites clean needle sharing programs. Um, I, you're looking at, I mean, uh, the basically making like uh, methadone treatment and, and suboxone treatment. So treatment with uh, opioid treatment for opioid addiction, where um, they are basically using these other substances and kind of weaning themselves or the doctor will wean them off of uh, the illicit drug with a pharmaceutical like a methadone or a buprenorphine suboxone where they will eventually then wean them off that from a pharmaceutical standpoint, kind of expanding that methadone maintenance treatment programs or suboxone treatment programs. Um, it's going to require a lot more of that stuff than the typical war on drugs, um, put them in jail and, um, uh, then release them after their, their, uh, sentence is finished and then they go back out and the person's still dependent or still addicted to the substance they're still going to use. So yeah. get them the, the treatment that they need and put them in a place to where they could safely or at least make a wise decision on do they really want to use the substance or not. Yeah. Um, the war on drugs is an abysmal failure. And completely. And the fact that now it's being talked about again, and it's like, how fucking backwards are you people? Do you not learn from the mistakes of the past? You can't take somebody who has a substance abuse problem and lock them in a cage with violent criminals and think that they're going to get better in five to ten years. It's 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 lunacy. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it is a complete failure. Um, I The problem that we see, I mean, why people die is, I mean— they're in the, they have an addiction or a dependency. They have a tolerance to the substance. They get thrown in the jail. They get released. I mean, it might be three days later. It might be a week. It might be a month or two later. Um, they then go back out on the street. Their tolerance is not, is, is now gone. So that, but they think they can use the same amount of substance. So they get a hold of something else another, I mean, a, a product, 
and they use it in the same way that they would use it before, but their tolerance is now gone or at least diminished. So now they overdose really easy um, using that same dose that they would have normally used before when they were actually tolerant to the stuff. Um, and then they die. Um, the, I mean, arrest, we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. We've been arresting people for years and years and years and years and nothing has worked. Um, it's, it, it is really time to start thinking other ways. Um, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, again, clean needle sharing, sharing programs, um, that helps to spread of, or helps stop there, at least minimize the spread of disease that's associated with um, injecting drugs. Um, like HIV, hepatitis, um, uh, those sort of things spread when people use dirty needles, share needles. Um, uh, if there was a program, clean needle program, where you can trade in your old needles, you're, I mean, and people will look at that and say, you're condoning drug use. Well, sure, but you're giving someone that's going to use a safer way to do it, and then hopefully... Um, Add that to another harm reduction aspect of, of um, safe injection site or treatment, I mean, health treatment or medical treatment um, with methadone or suboxone to get them the, the, the help they need to basically kick that dependency and kick that addiction. Um, the, um, but ultimately, where we find we ourselves now is the same place we found ourselves in the 90s, the same place we found ourselves in the 80s, same place we found ourselves in the 70s. Um, the war, I mean, the war on drugs is 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 not going to help anything, and it hasn't helped anything. No, it's, I look at the same, or I look at the issue in very much the same way as the abortion issue, which is, me personally, I am pro-choice because... I think that if you make something illegal and people still want to do it, they're still going to do it. And so with something like abortion, if you make that illegal, then you're going to be having women trying to get these back alley jobs and there's going to be a higher mortality rate. And yes. I can make that same comparison with these drugs in that if you just legalize them, you're going to reduce the amount of deaths because – you know, I mean, they're going to be able to get it from more reputable sources. And at the same time, what we've found in other countries is that when they legalized them across the board, it took away the sexiness of it. And they actually saw the usage of it drop. Yes. I believe um, Venezuela is one country um, that has legalized a lot of things or legalized everything as well. I think Portugal is there, too, um, where you see... I mean, once you legalize a substance, again, like you said, that sexiness goes away, that, um, that um, hey, it's not illegal anymore, or at least there's a, there's a framework of, okay, we're not doing anything illegal, so we don't have to really hide it, um, and we don't have to um, uh, do it in these essentially back alleys and these, these places that are unsafe. Um, yeah. And we can seek the help that we need. If we need it um, and we, there won't be as much stigma attached to, I mean, there's a lot of stigma attached to um, seeking treatment for opioid addiction. Um, I mean, a lot of stigma attached to that. Um, the, the abortion issue, you're 100% correct there. 
I mean, that is you outlaw that sort of thing. And now people are still going to seek those. I mean, those procedures, it is a medical procedure. I mean, people are going to seek those medical procedures, but if they're outlawed, they're only going to be available in these um, non endorsed areas, these, these CD back alleys, these, these non um, aseptic, I mean, non uh, hospital based settings. Yeah, basically, um, anybody who's seen the movie Dirty Dancing should know what the fuck we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> that is a excellent point right there. That is a good way to say it. Yeah, that yeah, is. You know, it's. You you can't you can't put a cork in human nature, in in and that's the problem I have with with frivolously making things illegal and especially doing it from from a moral standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, in the end, you're going to cause more problems than than you're solving, or you're going to cause different problems from what you're solving. And yeah. and right now, it seems like it's just the status quo of this ball rolling. When when you look at these states that marijuana has come up to be legalized for recreational use, the lobbyists that are trying to keep it illegal are prison guard unions because mm-hmm. they like having lots of people in those cells and uh, pharmaceutical companies that want to have their opioids unchallenged because in a lot of these states where it has been legalized medically and recreationally, we've seen opioid deaths drop. Yes. Um, I know for a fact that um, I was reading a story a while ago, but it was, I think it was in Arizona when um, uh, it came up on the, um, um, I think it was, it was a bill or something to legalize um, recreational and marijuana. And um, one of the lobbying groups that poured in a lot of money against the bill was the pharmaceutical company that was making the, the pharmaceutical fentanyl like spray. Yeah. For I believe it was in Arizona and I think they spent a half million dollars lobbying against it successfully, yeah. I believe, which was kind yeah. of sad. It, it was successful. Um, because I, I mean, as far as I know, I think there are only nine States in plus DC that have legalized recreationally so far. Um, with, I think Vermont being the last one, um, just recently. Um, but I think there's around 29 states that have that have legalized medical marijuana in some form. Um, I, the state that I'm in, Indiana, is probably going to be the probably the last state to do it. But yeah, that's what I say about Iowa too, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but there is actually talk here now of of exploring um, uh, medical marijuana, at least having some committees to talk about it, research it. Um, I but we're like one of the last states that you still can't buy beer and alcohol on Sundays here. So I kind of don't hold out hope for that because we still can't do that. Um, which again, that's, that's going to change too, I think though here soon, but I mean, we're kind of a backward state, but, uh, I, you're seeing a lot more States do it. And I think by the next five years, you'll see over, You'll, you'll probably see about 20 to 25 states legalize recreational marijuana in the next five years or so, um, which, in my opinion, is a good thing. Because, as you had said, I mean, there is evidence that shows um, in those states that have legalized marijuana, you um, 
do see a drop in uh, opioid-related deaths, um, which is a great thing. <laughs> yeah, if we're in the middle of an epidemic and that's something that helps, you know, it's 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 it seems like a no-brainer, but yeah. it it just gets locked up in the politics of it, and. And, and what's weird is that so many of these people who are so staunchly against marijuana, it's like maybe if 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 they just went out and tried it, they'd be like, oh, this this doesn't get you near as fucked up as alcohol does. I mean, alcohol will straight up impair you to oh. the point where, I mean, like, it, it's like you have mittens on your brain. You know, you just can't it, fucking do anything. <laughs> alcohol, I mean, ethanol itself, alcohol is a terrible substance. I mean, I... I mean, from my personal standpoint, I don't drink much alcohol. I have maybe one or two beers a year, um, but that's just my personal stance. Um, but the, I mean, from a from a societal standpoint, um, alcohol is, I mean, is related. I mean, especially when you talk about, I mean, impaired driving and um, deaths due to impaired driving, deaths due to um, alcohol poisoning and alcohol intoxication. I mean, it is a nasty, nasty, bad substance. Um, it, it, the world would probably be a better place if it was le- if it was illegal and marijuana was legal. <laughs> I, I, I it, it's I, alcohol itself is um, it's widespread. It's, I mean, it's obviously so widespread, but there's just such a huge lobby um, behind it. Um, it, but it, it's kind of like cigarettes and nicotine tobacco were, I mean, still was in the eighties, nineties. I mean, you, you don't see that as much anymore because I think that the health effects have been kind of, uh, kind of trumped and, and thrown out there that made more public that, um, it is, I mean, tobacco and smoking cigarettes and that sort of thing are really, it's detrimental to your health. Um, but alcohol itself, I mean, you still have that, some of that sexiness to it that um, it's 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 a legal substance. People will use it. Um, and I, I again, I, I don't have a lot of good things to say about it, really. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that for a while, I mean, especially if you listen to this show, you've heard me be drunk on strawberry a lot. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> but like recently, it's different, though. I mean, that's I mean. <laughs> Well, recently I've been on a kick and like I actually haven't been been drunk in, in a while now because it's like okay I need to get serious about losing some weight and, <laughs> and when I did the math I was like I was like you know you really started putting a lot of weight on when you discovered craft beers and shit like that and so now I'm just trying to cut it out and and so far so good and it's like hey I can actually stay up later again I'm not falling asleep at nine o'clock <laughs> I actually had this conversation with someone at work today I mean the the because he's a big craft beer guy and he has kind of come to the realization that he the amount of craft beers that he were i mean the beers he was drinking i mean that's an extra he was saying five to seven hundred different calories a day yeah oh, easily if not more yeah and he was i mean he cut a lot of that out and hey he did end up losing a lot of weight from that i mean he was actually feeling a lot better um but i mean it's i mean it's all about moderation I mean, you can eat a lot and drink a lot and do a lot, but I mean, just do everything in moderation. You'll be fine. Don't get behind the wheel. I mean, don't, don't drive. Don't, don't do stupid things while under the influence and everything will be okay. Um, 
it's it's like I've always said with like the marijuana industry, the recreational legal marijuana industry, uh, the the downfall of that industry is going to be the edibles. It's going to be edibles and THC infused edible industry yeah. is going to be the downfall of recreational use. They they make them just way too fucking strong. It, there's yeah, there's that because I mean, you make a a cookie, a single cookie, a normal size cookie. <laughs> That I would probably inhale in about two seconds, <laughs> but that's like six doses of THC. And they, you're, it's, you're meant to break off a sixth or a fifth of it and consume that. No one is going to do that. Or you make a pack of gummy bears or gummies or whatever, and the dose is a single gummy bear. Nobody in their right mind is going to get a hold of that and consume or no one that I shouldn't say in the right mind, but that knows, I mean, that would consume anything like that is going to consume a single gummy bear. Yeah. And well, they're probably and not going to do it more than once. That, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, they're going to learn from that shit. They'd be like, I was so scary and I was so high. I felt the planet spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the report you see in the news where like the high schoolers get a hold of someone's edibles and, and they consume They'll, they'll eat a gummy bear and they don't feel anything. They're coming. They've been used to smoking marijuana or something. So they feel the effects within minutes or whatever. And they, they don't feel anything. So they consume another gummy bear and then they don't still don't feel anything. It's been 20 minutes later. They consume <laughs> another one. And then all of a sudden within 30 or so that 30 to 35 minute range. Now all of a sudden it starts kicking in and then it kicks in and it stays in for a while because now you're absorbing it to your stomach mm -hmm. and it's much slower absorption. And now you're going to feel those effects for a much longer time because now you're slowly absorbing that and they freak, get freaked out and they get, I mean, whether it's they get freaked out or they get locked down to their couch or, or whatever, um, they, they're not used to that sort of thing. And the, the, the edible industry has got to do something because you can't sell a cookie or a brownie and try to expect people to use that thing and, and break it up into five different parts. Um, I, it's, 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 if I was them and I'm not them, but if I was them, I would do something different. Now from a toxicology standpoint, are people in danger of, of eating too many edibles like that? Or it's more just going to, give the industry a bad rap because I mean, you can get on YouTube and see videos of people freaking out from eating too many, too many edibles. And usually they're just pretty funny. They're not funny to the people that it's happening to at the moment, <laughs> but <laughs> from true. a toxicologist standpoint, what is your take on that? Um, from the toxicology standpoint, I mean, they're not really in danger of, I mean, consuming too much. It's more of their actions after eating it or after consuming them. Okay. Uh, they, they're not, they're not used to it. I mean, it's a different type of high than smoking. I mean, the body high is extremely different. different. Yes. <laughs> and it's not, I mean, they're not used to, I mean, if someone has smoked before and now all of a sudden they've switched, they've tried edibles, it's going to be different and it's going to, I mean, it's going to affect them in different ways. And then it, so it's a different experience. They might act differently in that situation and we have seen in a couple of cases, a couple of extreme cases where someone consumes an entire, I mean, an entire cookie or two cookies or whatever, uh, that they do do a, I mean, they, 
there is a severe action on their end, whether it's jumping off a building or um, running out to traffic and getting hit or, or something like that. There have been some cases like that that have, that have presented themselves. But in the vast majority of times, um, they go to a hospital and they're treated at a hospital by a doctor and then they recuperate and they're released after 24 hours or several hours. But you're um, not seeing people get poisoned off it. Typically, no. I would not, um, from a from a tox perspective, no. Um, um, that's not to say it doesn't happen, but from a from a wide scale perspective, no. Yeah, that's that's one of those things where when they portray people eating brownies and stuff like that in pop culture, and the the actors treat it just like they would if they were acting like they smoked a joint. <laughs> it it bothers me because it's like no 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 the, those are two very different buzzes yes. and like and, my my mom and dad are huge fans of um oh what the hell's that show well, with the physicists super popular sitcom oh shoot uh the big bang theory yes yes and so they they my mom played me the the one episode they had on their DVR where they're out camping and they eat some brownies and they're like staring at the stars and like, whoa, man. Oh. <laughs> and then she's like, isn't it funny? I'm like, no, it's not funny because I know too much. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, they should be freaking the fuck out right now. They shouldn't be like, Hey man, they should be like, ah, ah. <laughs> I was like, cause they're not used to doing it and they ate that much. They should be freaked out. And yes. Because I, that, back when I used to do edibles and stuff like that, I did it, but I never liked it because I was like, I'm going to eat this and I'm going to be scared. That's not a fun feeling. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not, that's not fun. I mean, that's... I mean, I'd stupidly still do it. And, and even now I'm like, boy, I got to get to Colorado before these people fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, maybe, maybe one day they'll come to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you won't so, have to leave. Well, right now, right now in Iowa, uh, CBD oil is legal for just certain conditions but you can't legally buy it in the state so i think you actually have to go out of state and then you can bring it in or i don't know i i was um uh my mother-in-law has um some uh, uh bad arthritis issues in her hands mm -hmm. and so she was talking about how it kind of pisses her off that she's read articles to where it's cbd oil has had positive benefits for people with arthritis, but she can't get treated for it in Iowa. And I'm like, yeah. uh, it's like, yeah, that, that sucks because there are medical benefits for this, but because of backwards ass, stupid history and everything like that in this country, it's marked as a schedule one and shit like yep. fentanyl. That's got people dropping like fucking flies, but it's got a good lobby behind it is legal, mm -hmm. you know, with yeah. a prescription or whatnot. But Ugh. Same same thing here with CBD oil in this state. I mean, there was just some stuff going on lately about um, I, they're studying it now. They're allowing, they're going to allow it to be sold, but it has to be the the oil itself has to have I think less than 0.3 percent THC in it to be legal. Um, and but it is somewhat legal here. Um, and will be here shortly regarding, I mean, for anyone to buy, I think, outside of any sort of disease states or any anything like that. Um, but again, it just speaks to the 
the backwards nature of a lot of laws and, and things because in CBD oil itself, cannabidiol is not imparting any sort of pharmacological, I mean, psychoactive effect. I mean, it's not getting you high. Um, and so there is no real good reason to criminalize that substance. I mean, it has potential health benefits. It's been shown to have some health benefits and there's no reason why we should be, I mean, as a government or, I mean, that's has public health crises present presenting themselves today that why we should be stepping in front of something that could possibly help. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree, man. It's, uh, it feels dark, but you know, maybe with the amount of states that it is starting to move forward in, it, it seems like the, the future is getting brighter on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, like I said, I think here in the next five years or so, you'll see um, probably 20 to 25 total states um, with, I would like to say with recreational marijuana, especially. Um, and I think you'll see over 35, 40 states with medicinal um, marijuana legalized, which I think is nothing but a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, one of the things that popped into my head earlier when we were talking about uh, building up tolerances was that scene in The Princess Bride. Oh, the Iocane powder? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so is, is that pure fiction or is that possible? Um, that sort of thing. Hey, there's truth in it, but there, I mean, a lot of the way it's presented is not truthful. It's not, I mean, it's, it is fictional, but there is some truth there. I mean, the more you use a substance that has that, I mean, any sort of effect, the more you'll become tolerant to it. Um, you see this in the world of like prescription opiates and opioids all the time. Um, someone is consuming a substance therapeutically. They get prescribed hydrocodone for pain or, or whatever, whatever reason they're on it for. And um, they're using it for months and months and months. And then all of a sudden, I mean, over time, that same dosage is no longer going to affect them. It doesn't impart any sort of their he like any doesn't help their pain. The effects aren't there anymore. Um, it doesn't solve their pain. So what they have to do is up their dosage because they're now tolerant to that dosage. So now they can be their dosage might double while they're on that for a while. And then the same thing happens. And then, I mean, I've seen people on insane dosages of drugs because I mean, and they have legitimate pain. These aren't people that are drug seeking people. These are people that are actually using the drugs therapeutically, but they've been on the opioid. They've been on the medication for so long that they've developed a severe tolerance to it. And if you were to like you or me were to take that dosage straight, I mean, our, as our first dosage, it would kill us right out. We would die within minutes. But this person has become so tolerant to the substance that they're taking four, five, six, seven hundred milligrams of oxycodone per day. I mean, back in the day I had saw I had seen reports of someone taking a thousand milligrams of oxycodone a day. Which is insane. But they were in a they had a very specific disease state. They were had very specific, I mean chronic pain, and they had been on medication for like twenty years. So 
but they were using it therapeutically. They weren't diverting their medication. They were using it like they were supposed to, but their, their tolerance had been grown so much that they were just taking pills and pill and pill and pill and pill right after each other. I mean, all the time to control their pain. Um, but it, it works that way with other drugs as well. I mean, cocaine, you become tolerant to certain effects. Um, so you require more and more. Um, you're never going to get that extreme tolerance where, um, it, except for very, very rare circumstances where, hey, it's not going to, I mean, you might become tolerant to the iocane powder or whatever. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, you might be able to consume 100 milligrams of it and not feel the effects or not fall over and die. Um, but your normal dosage of someone else that would consume it, I mean, because you've been consuming it over and over and over, um, you might be able to consume 100 milligrams, but they might only be able to consume five milligrams or one milligram. I mean, so it does work that way, but it, it the way it's presented is a little different. But um, it is a real thing. I mean, it definitely tolerance to medications, tolerance to drugs is is definitely real. And it's something that it, it presents its, I mean, it presents itself and it, it's actually a bad thing when it comes to um, some of the things we see out on the streets these days. All right on. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> I always wondered if that would really happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you can, I mean, is, I mean, if he was slowly dosing himself over time with the substance <laughs> and I mean, if, I mean, if you say it was like kind of like cocaine or something, yeah. you, would, you would slowly take a certain dosage of cocaine daily and you up your dosage over time and you just keep using successfully larger amounts of dosages over time. I mean, you would, your, those effects would be muted at those dosages that you were used to. And then you would require a much more higher dose to achieve those same effects. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it does work that way. <laughs> Dude, this has been a fascinating conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned so much. Oh, wow. Um, uh, we could probably get around to wrapping it up if you want. Okay. I mean, that's fine. That's fine. Nice man. Um, I could I could talk about this shit all day. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Well. Yeah. In 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 when I say we should get around to wrapping it up, it, it has nothing to do with. Um. I mean, like a lot of my shows have been going like a little over three hours or so, but I'm kind of getting over being sick, and so oh, I, was yeah. like, I was like, oh, we could probably wrap this one up around oh, the yeah, there's some, point. There's some sickness going around this house too, so <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> oh man, last Friday, like. I was just excessively clearing my throat at work a lot. And then by the time I got home, my wife's like, you look terrible. And I'm like, I feel terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I ended up having to cancel a podcast on Sunday and went home from work uh, sick on Monday, spent three hours in an, in an urgent care facility because I couldn't get a hold of my regular doctor's office. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. But uh, they, they got me. They put me on a Z pack and uh, a steroid pack for my lungs. And dude, the last two days at work, I've been feeling like I could just go and run circles around the building. Hey, that's, that's good though. That's, yeah. So I'm feeling a little bit better, but I'm like, God, I probably it seems to be working. Late. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but dude, I would love to have you on again because this is, 
this is too cool and i feel like we've just barely scratched the surface of all the different stuff we yeah talk about. i would love to come back anytime i've got plenty <laughs> of other stuff to talk about so awesome <laughs> dude oh wow um and uh while you got the opportunity you want to plug your blog because that is super fascinating stuff too yeah um my blog is called the dose makes the poison i've kind of turned it into kind of it's a non it's kind of a non work related blog where i kind of write occasional things of um i've got stories up there i've wrote about drugs that are kind of in the news um poisonings that kind of pop out here and there i've got some things that i've written about what certain drugs are that are in the news and how the last one i think i wrote was about cyanide um or one of the last ones i wrote was about cyanide and um how it played a role in someone's death that was actually just on live tv um I, someone consumed a, a bottle of cyanide and fell over in the Hague, uh, not too long ago. What? Um, yeah, it was, uh, shoot. What was his name? Um, Slobodan Praljak. Um, he was a, um, he was in, he was a general in the Croatian army and he was convicted of, uh, crimes against humanity and violations of war and the Geneva convention, that little thing that's called, um, and it was during the, I think the, was it the Croat Bosniak War. It was in the early 90s, around 92, 93, 94, 95, somewhere in there. Um, he had actually received a 20 year prison sentence in 2013. And he was appealing that ever since. He was actually being held. And he had a hearing in the, in the Hague. Uh, it was end of November. It was around the 29th of November of 2017. Um, he was at his final uh, appeals conviction hearing and the judge was ruling against him again, against his appeal. He stood up during the, the hearing and, and yelled in his, I mean, in his language, he yelled something like judges Slobodan Praljak is not a war criminal with disdain. I reject your verdict. And then he pulled out a bottle of substance and he drank from it. And then he said, what I'm drinking now is poison. And then the judge stopped the hearing and doctors came in and then he died a short while later, like within minutes. Um, what ended up happening was what was in that vial was cyanide, was potassium cyanide. Um, he had stuck that into the Hague somehow. I have no idea how he actually got that in there. Um, but he had produced that and killed himself. And this was live on TV that he killed Whoa. himself. There's pictures of him I've got um, sourced that um, of live on on TV of him pulling the bottle out and drinking from it. Um, I but so like I wrote like what I mean I, what I like to do is write okay well this substance is now in 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 the media it's being reported okay what is this substance what is cyanide how does it affect the body what does it do I mean how do we test for it and then kind of look at it as a historical poison because cyanide has been used for years and years and years in poisonings. Um, whether it was in during world war two in the Nazi concentration camps, I mean, hydrogen cyanide was used. Um, it was rumored that cyanide played a role in Rasputin's death his assassination. Um, just all sorts of, I mean, Jonestown, um, Jim Jones. Yeah. That's Diana. Yeah, that's a whole one. They, I mean, cyanide was among the others, some of the substances that was used um, that was 
inside that grape flavored beverage that they used. Um, this the Tylenol poisonings in the 80s um, in Chicago. Um, that was potassium cyanide that was used. And still, they don't know who actually did that to this day. No one was yeah, ever. That was another creepy one. Um, just various different deaths were associated with cyanide. Um, so I, I like to write like things like that on, on the blog and kind of use it as kind of a kind of almost like a scientific outreach type thing. If anybody's reading it, I talk about designer drugs, um, um, newer, newly emerging substances, as well as things that are in the news. So, I mean, it's the dose makes the poison. It's the dose makes poison.blogspot.com. Um, but I mean, if anybody's interested in these drugs, have, have a look at the, some of the stories, um, and drop me a comment if you'd like. I mean, if you'd like to see anything covered, I would be more than happy to write something because I love talking about writing about these things. So awesome. Um, and it, I'll link it on the, all on my page too. So people can find it super easy. Oh, yeah, perfect. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. D- yeah, dude, I'm going to have you on again. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I'd, cool. Like I said, I'd, lo- I'd love to love to come back. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been StartCast. If you have any questions or comments on what you just heard, you can email me at startcastpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at the Tubby Ninja, or you can check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash startcastpod. Thank you very much for listening. Hey, I'd like to take a moment to ask you all a big favor. If you enjoy listening to StartCast, please log on to iTunes and leave me a review. It uh, really helps with visibility for the show, and um, I would super appreciate it. If you're not a fan and you want to be honest and tell me how much my show sucks, go ahead and leave me a run of those too. <laughs>